Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters with our crew of Christ-Confessing Concordians today. We have layman Peter Slayton, <laughs> Pastor Merritt Dembski, Pastor, oh, Parrot. Parrot. Oh, <laughs> slip of the tongue there. Pastor Peter Ill. There's too many P's going on and too many Peters, and it's just, it's a tongue twister in here. But Pastor Peter Ill and myself, Pastor Sean Smith, as your host. And uh, we are a live call in show. I always forget to do that. So I'm going to do that before we get into our usual talk and set up things up here. But uh, you can call in at 1 800 730 2727. Again, 1 800 730 2727. You can email us, you can Facebook us, you can Twitter. There's all sorts of ways that you can get in touch with the show and ask your questions as today we dig into this matter of satisfaction making satisfaction for sins especially in connection with confession and absolution and this is in the apology of the augsburg confession that we're dealing with this and we've been in that uh, for a little while now and this is article 12 B, so part B of this, and it's tied in with the article on repentance, and they have a few things to say about, in connection with repentance, one should confess, that's what Christians do, their sins, uh, but there was this issue of satisfactions going on, and I'm just going to kind of throw it to the panel as we get in going here. I don't know, I kind of listened to our last show uh, last time, and I really hate my voice, by the way, so I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna let you guys do more talking after I set us up here, um, but uh, uh, I don't know that we actually ever identified exactly what we mean by satisfactions, uh, especially in terms of a church sense. So anybody want to kind of jump in and explain that? A satisfaction is, in a lot of ways, how a priest or a minister or a pastor would assign a certain uh, task to show that you were really sorry for what you did. So a satisfaction was proof that you were sorry. And so you would do something. Uh, sometimes those would take the forms of, of prayers or Hail Marys or a contribution or something like that. Uh, perhaps it might take the form of go and be reconciled with somebody. Uh, but they ended up becoming conditional to forgiveness. And we... God, who knows all things, doesn't need us to show him that we're really sorry because he knows that already. And this was added, and it ended up uh, not always contributing for the good of the church. All right. Yeah, and so when we talk about making satisfactions, right, it's those satisfactions for sins. And there's another way that this has been talked about, too, is that you can merit your forgiveness. And we've made jokes because we have a pastor, Merit Dembski, on the show, and glad to have you back with us this week. Um, so maybe you can talk about this. How, how does satisfactions tie in with merit? Hmm. <laughs> Stumped you. <laughs> pastor Ill's look at me smiling. <laughs> Um, ask ask the question one more time because I was distracted by how does uh, merit (laughs) how does merit like merit forgiveness tie in with this notion of satisfactions because we've heard merit uh, Mm -hmm. in the in the 
Augsburg Confession, Apology of the Augsburg Confession, probably more than the satisfactions language. Specifically here we're using satisfactions. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a connected issue. So how do they connect? Well, I would I would think I'm trying to think of the easiest way to say it. I mean, you you do something, you're looking at your merits, your deeds, and those lead up to saying, Okay, you've satisfied the demands in front of you to show that you are now forgiven kind of thing. So it's it's just the uh yeah, the works that you're doing to satisfy God's wrath, essentially, rather than looking to Christ and what he has already done and trusting by faith that he has taken that on. Is that, am I missing? Like that satisfaction becomes a work. Right. Uh, and and you end up trusting in your works of satisfaction more than you trust in the grace of Jesus Christ. And therein lies the rub. Right. Well, you're, you're putting things backwards. You're You're doing things backwards where rather than... Your your works of, of repentance being something that comes as a result of being forgiven. Now I wish to love my neighbor and serve my neighbor and make things right with my neighbor. You you take that work and you put it before the forgiveness and say, I got to do this thing first in order to merit or earn mm -hmm. that forgiveness. And so you're you're flipping things around and doing doing the wrong thing on the you know. Right. And I mean, I think about that if, if someone comes and says, you know, I've done something horrible against this person, you know, I need that forgiveness. You, you absolve that person of the sin that they've committed, they've confessed their sin, and you might encourage them to go and make right what they have done wrong, but not as a condition of their forgiveness, but as a result of their forgiveness, like yeah. Layman Slayton was saying. So, so, so to give an example <laughs> of this, right? Okay. So um, I, I take a... Uh, Oh, a glass jar, right? Um, that belongs to you, Pastor Dembski. And I accidentally, you know, drop it while I'm holding it. And I apologize to you. I'm sorry that I did that, right? And you forgive me of that. But if you demand in that forgiveness that I buy you a new one. Or I that, will forgive you once I've got a new one in my hand. Right. Something like that. That's that's how I merit your forgiveness from Pastor Merritt, right? Mm -hmm. is, is that uh, I have to do something. I have to make satisfaction for this, right? Mm -hmm. And what we actually say happens, and this is because Scripture teaches this, is that what happens is that we come to God with all of our sin, right? And there's nothing worthy in us, right? And we come to God and say, I am sorry for all that I have done against you and your good creation, he says, I forgive you. Now, how is that possible? Because there has to be something to made, be made right in this, right? So how is that possible? And we've talked about it. I mean, we've thrown the name out there. Mm -hmm. But how is it possible that he speaks that forgiveness to us, even though we really can't do anything to make satisfaction for it? Well, and that's something that's that the scandal of grace. And I've never thought about that before or heard someone that reacted against the beauty of that gospel message of God's grace. And yet I talked to someone uh, a couple weeks back who had a huge problem with the idea that someone who's horrible could be forgiven and go to heaven. Like, how could that be? And, you know, in our, in our conversation, it was a lot longer than just that. But in our conversation, uh, part of my question was, well, who deserves to go to heaven then? It's like, well, people who have loved and cared. And it's like, but you don't like the whole save by works thing. No, I don't. It's like, that's exactly what you want, though. You know, like that's that's exactly <laughs> what you are asking for is to be saved by works. Because if you do enough, you do enough. And if you don't, then you don't. 
you know yeah. and that's that's exactly what you're preaching and that's why it's so scandalous how could god like be like that to let someone like that into heaven it's like we should be asking how you can let us into heaven. <laughs> you know, like that's that's the yeah, question. I think I used the example back before you joined our show, uh, back when we were going through for like a year that article uh, for unjustification and so forth. I used the example the of... The golden days? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Pastor no, Golden is on a different week. Oh, He's not yeah, on right, with right, us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I think uh, I, I use the example of, you know, sometimes when people come to me with that kind of mentality and so forth, I do exactly what Jesus did and give them the rich young ruler answer. Oh, well, go sell all you have. And, you know, like I give them more law and it's like, <laughs> if you really think that you have something to offer here, go ahead. Like, let's, let's push this to the limit. And until you realize your utter, you know, inability to make any satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Right. So then that brings us back to the point here that ultimately what we're denying here or, or what we were saying there is that, um, uh, first that Jesus is the satisfaction of God's wrath. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the, put the point on it. And, so anytime that we say that there's anything that we do that makes satisfaction, right, to, to earn that forgiveness, to merit that forgiveness, then we're denying what Christ is all about. And mm-hmm. so this, this is really no minor thing, as we've made many points on uh, several weeks in a row and so forth, that this is no minor kind of quibbling over details. This is really what, what, what are we receiving from God and how do we receive it and everything like that. Well, I think I brought it up last week, but the, the confession that we start our service with is a very helpful way, once again, to, to think through this. Because at the beginning of our it's one of the confessions. We use a couple different ones, but the one that starts, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you, and here's this list of how bad I am. And then the the turn in the confession starts with, but for the sake of your beloved son, Jesus Christ. Here, all I have to bring to you is this horrible stuff that I have done. So not for my sake, but for the sake of Jesus, forgive me. And so we're, we're once again, not not only is it the the repentance, but also the satisfaction and all of that, the forgiveness is all dependent upon Christ. And we are acknowledging I'm, I'm not working in any of this all the way through this, whether it's before, after, during, I bring nothing to the table here. I I really do think all of our uh, theology as Lutherans hinges on this. And it's no minor point. You talk about, you know, how we practice our theology in terms of the confession. I was even thinking of the first article, especially the way Luther teaches that in the small catechism is he lists all these gifts that come to us, house, home, wife, children, all these things, right? All come to us by his blessing and so forth. And especially Luther gives us that, that wording in there. He says, without any merit or worthiness in me, this comes from his fatherly divine goodness and mercy, right? Yeah. And, and that is just, a, you know, our, our theology really does hinge on this point that it is by his mercy and it, it, that mercy is hinging on Christ who received all of God's wrath so that I wouldn't. I received nothing but his mercy. And so when whenever we turn this into that you have to do something to make satisfaction, and even as we're going to see as I start reading here in just a little bit, even if we do anything that causes confusion to think that you are doing that, even if that's not inherently what we're doing, and they, they kind of even concede that, as we'll see, um, then, then it's really quite a dangerous thing because it leads us away from Christ ultimately. Pastor L, you wanted to jump in. 
something that comes up right away here in our reading today is that we've been talking about satisfaction one way, but there were two ways it was regarded in the church of, of Luther and Melanchthon's day. And there was the satisfaction that somebody would do in order to show God that they were sorry for their sin, like we've been talking about. But there was also the satisfaction to show the church that they had recognized a major error that had brought uh, shame on the church, and they would bring that out. Uh, those are two different kinds of, of satisfaction as we go. There's the one before God that doesn't work, because our only satisfaction before God is Christ Jesus our Lord. On the other side, there is this church discipline form of satisfaction, and, and that'll be something that we'll get to talk about a little bit more here in a minute. Yeah, and I, th I think that's an excellent, uh, you know, I think especially last week we spent more talking about that ladder there and so forth and talking about how we may still encourage some of these things, but we're not going to turn into legalists and demand that these things be done to show your repentance or anything of that nature. And that'll especially come out, too, I think, uh, when we get to the scripture reading section. But when we talk about this showing the church you know the repentance if we if we go back to the the plate analogy where we have pastor Merritt's uh, art bagatti bowling plate you know a special bowling plate that pastor smith has broken with his apple chopper um it's some, a veggie tales reference oh okay okay <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, so pastor smith breaks the plate there there's an apology i'm sorry and then the next thing that happens is pastor smith takes those shattered pieces and just kicks them in pastor Merritt's face okay that's that's not what we're talking about here that's that's the opposite of satisfaction what you would expect from a christian who has received that forgiveness is okay well i'm, I'm going to clean this mess up that i made i'm going to pick up the pieces of the plate and you know maybe go get him another one if if i'm able to do so if that that's part of it that's that's the good kind of satisfaction you know satisfaction in a good sense and uh, as they're talking about here in the confessions there there was an element of the church that had that so i mean we've, we're kind of going in circles but i'm just trying to use the, our previous analogy to help us think through a little more simply that you know satisfaction is not kicking the p shattered pieces of plate and walking away after being forgiven it's well let me help make this right what can i do how can i help all right. Yeah, I, I definitely wanted to lay the foundation here and, and kind of especially define that term uh, satisfactions and what we're talking about here. And with that being well done, thanks, guys, for that. Uh, we will jump in and I'm going to read a good chunk of this uh, as it all really ties together quite well and kind of tells a story almost, I think. And then uh, once we have that picture in our mind, I think we'll talk more about it. So I'm picking up with paragraph 16 or 113. We've talked many times about how confusing this is, depending on what book of Concord you're using. Uh, we're using the Concordia Reader's Edition uh, Book of Concord available through CPH, and this is Article 12, Part B, Confession and Satisfaction. The word satisfaction has been left from this right of public repentance. The Holy Fathers were unwilling to welcome back the fallen or the notorious sinners unless, as far as it was possible, their repentance had been first examined and shown publicly. There seem to have been many causes for this. To discipline those who had fallen served as an example, as the gloss upon the decrees reminds us. Also, it was improper to admit notorious people immediately to communion. These customs have long since grown obsolete. It is not necessary to restore them because they are not necessary for the forgiveness of sins before God. The fathers, that is the church fathers, do not maintain that people merit the forgiveness of sins through such customs or works. 
These spectacles, outward ceremonies, usually lead astray the ignorant who thought that they merited the forgiveness of sins before God by these works. If anyone believes this, he has the faith of a Jewish person and a pagan. For even the pagans had certain remedies for offenses through which they imagined that they were reconciled to God. Now, even though the custom has been cast aside, the word satisfaction still remains. A small part of the custom also remains of prescribing in confession certain satisfactions, which they define as works that are not required. We call them canonical satisfactions. Like the complete listing of sins, we hold that canonical satisfactions are not necessary by divine law for the forgiveness of sins. Neither were those ancient displays of satisfactions in public repentance necessary by divine law for the forgiveness of sins. The teaching about faith must be kept that we receive the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake through faith, not for the sake of our works that precede or follow. This is why we have discussed especially the question of satisfactions. The righteousness of faith should not be clouded over in submitting to them, nor should people think that they receive the forgiveness of sins for the sake of these works. Many current sayings in the school aid the error. Among these are those that give the definition of satisfaction, namely, that it is done to reconcile divine displeasure. Nevertheless, the adversaries admit that satisfactions do not help in the pardon of guilt. They imagine that satisfactions help in delivering one from punishment, whether purgatory or other punishments. They teach that God pardons guilt and the forgiveness of sins, yet because divine justice requires sin to be punished, he transfers eternal punishment into temporal punishment. Further, they add that a part of this temporal punishment is pardoned by the power of the keys, but that the rest is delivered by means of satisfactions. It cannot be understood which punishments the power of the keys partially forgive unless the adversaries say that a part of the punishments of purgatory is forgiven. That would mean that the satisfactions are only punishments delivering from purgatory. They say satisfactions benefit even though they are presented by those who have fallen again into mortal sin, as though indeed the divine displeasure could be appeased by those who are in mortal sin. This entire matter is fake and recently made up without scriptural authority and the old writers of the church. Not even Lombard, he wrote some sentences, he's one of those older um, scholastic theologians, scholastic theologians, right, that uh, we've talked about before, speaks of satisfactions in this way. The scholastics saw that there were satisfactions in the church. They did not notice that these displays had been set up both for the purpose of example and for testing those who desired to be welcomed back by the church. In a word, they did not see that it was a discipline and entirely a secular matter. So they superstitiously imagined that these displays benefit not for dis discipline before the church, but for reconciling God. In other places, they frequently, with great incompetence, have confused spiritual and civil matters. The same happens also regarding satisfactions, but of various places, the explanation of the canons confirms that these observances were set up for the sake of church discipline. All right, so a big chunk there, but I think it all really ties together. It would have been awkward to kind of stop at any one place in there. So so give us a, a snippet. What What's the overall picture that they're presenting here? There used to be church discipline as a result of people's behavior and Used oh. to be, so we don't anymore. No, no. Oh, was, okay. was, it would have <laughs> well, been awkward for it would have been awkward for me to stop in the middle of my sentence. Of, oh wait. <laughs> no, I was saying there that the 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 author here is arguing that there had been church discipline going on, but that the way it was being carried out, there were people that thought, "Oh, what I'm doing right now is bringing the forgiveness of sins," and it brought all these other um, baggage along of trying to do works to appease God rather than 
acknowledging that they were making things right with the people around them that they had offended, but that Christ himself is the one that was the one forgiving sins and making eternal satisfaction with God. But that, um, um, but that, yeah, absolutely. There is still church discipline, but just making that distinction here that that is not for the forgiveness of sins, but that, yeah, we, we live rightly with the people around us and, uh, that is not what saves us. It's Christ alone who saves. Well, if we're going to go with our, our plate analogy that, you know, I'm, I'm fond of because we've now turned it into a VeggieTales analogy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Can we do that for copyright reasons? Are we going to get in trouble? I don't know that we, like... I'll be, we'll just, I'll be your friend either way. It's, it's a general blo- broken plate. Hey, VeggieTales is good for moralism. And that's, you know, we're talking about that a little bit. Um, it, it's, it's the difference between, past, you know, Pastor Smith, you break the plate... And and the church, you know, maybe it's not Pastor Merritt, but your pastor says, hey, it, it'd be good now that Pastor Merritt has forgiven you for you to clean up that plate. Just let everybody know that this this you have repented and and this this is a good thing as part of, you know, reconciling that relationship. And and fifth and so whenever a plate is broken, that has now become the tradition of the churches that the pastor says, go do this. And 50 years down the road, somebody somebody comes along and says, Oh, in order for Pastor Merritt to forgive Pastor Smith for breaking the plate, the plate must first be picked up and cleaned up and replaced. So the teaching is not underlying what's happening. Yeah, it's it's, just, it's yeah. all of a sudden as history has gone on. And so that's what we're seeing here. The church is seeing that, well, as time progressed, this good practice turned into something else. And it's no longer about Jesus taking the punishment for your sins and making satisfaction for your sins. It's now you must make satisfaction for your sins in some way, form, um, and then you can you can be forgiven. Yeah, I, I think I, I gave this example last week and so forth that we have these older practices when there is the public sin, that there would also be public repentance, especially in front of the congregation, because everybody sees it. And there's going to be all sorts of kind of, you know... Um, Things being said about them behind, and especially when you think about spiritual leaders in your congregation, this can be a really good thing because, you know, whether it be divorce, conceiving a child out of wedlock, or any other sorts of kind of public things, the, the temptation for even God's people, right? And, and we should certainly encourage uh, right understanding on the other side there, too, to put the best construction on things and to not be a busybody and so forth. But the temptation is to see, well, that's a spiritual leader in the congregation. That's someone that we know is faithful and comes every Sunday and so forth, and yet they've done this sin. Does does that mean that God's okay with it, right? Well, they don't necessarily know what's going on behind the scenes and that that person has probably been working with their pastor and things like that, right? And so that's where, you know, at times, a pastor may encourage, especially for your spiritual leaders in the congregation, you know, be public with your repentance, right? Uh, and in our older churches, both of my congregations, I have folks that can still remember some of their parents doing this when there was a thing, uh, you know, a public sin of so uh, such the, uh, such a nature that kind of everybody knew about it. And, and kind of the one that comes to mind is someone told me about their mom, uh, you know, had to go before the congregation because they, they conceived a child before they were actually married and this is a great scandal and so forth. And, you know, she felt such shame because all she had to do 
you know, the pastor told her, you have to go before the congregation and make this confession or you can't come forward to the Lord's Supper and so forth. And while that may be a good practice, you know, to show that public repentance so that everybody sees things are reconciled, this is a good Christian way to live, it became a legalistic thing. And I think sometimes what happens then is that we take away the rights of things. And this is where like we have the, the Lutheran service book agenda and so forth that I love all of the rights because the first thing it does, whether it's the right of holy matrimony, marriage, the right of baptism, right of whatever, it, it states very clearly, this is what we're doing here. This is where we get it from God's word. And it's, I think, really important to have any kind of these practices done with an explanation and I think probably what had happened at this time was that some of those explanations have fallen away. So they lead into this misunderstanding of, well, you have to do it. It became a legal demand and, and consciences were burdened. Well, we, I think we do this with, with anything, with any sort of, of right or practice. Our natural tendency is to treat the right and practice as the thing itself, the, the ex opera operato. Look, as long as I do this thing, I'm good. And we, we over time will always start looking away from Christ and what he has done and look towards the thing that we're doing as, as what's going to fix. So in, in, in each of these situations, that turning is always back towards ourselves. And sometimes even when the, there's good teaching going on of, of what this is about, because of our sinful nature, we're still coming right back and making it about us and what we're doing. Yeah, we've talked many times about how that human nature really is, is that, you know, if I if I can be in control, right, you know, this human sinful nature, especially, yep. right, if I can be in control, then then I'm I'm good. So give me something to do. And then I, I'll have my conscience put at ease. And the reality is, is that most often it doesn't really put our conscience at ease. But there is still a place for some things that if you just do them, it puts your conscience at ease. One of which is that we have to hear a message from our underwriters. And so we're going to take a break and put my conscience cities that I've done my job. Please join us right after the break. It is not surprising that no one chooses to become a Christian with the Apostle Paul writing, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. What does that mean? It's the next law and gospel as we take a look at this reading for the second Sunday after Pentecost. Listen to Law and Gospel weekday mornings beginning at 9.30 on KFUO. Hi, I'm Jay Ashcroft. Here at the Secretary of State's office, we take the integrity of our elections seriously. Missourians agreed and passed Constitutional Amendment 6. Missouri's new photo ID law is now in effect. Have questions about the new voter ID law or need to register to vote? We're here to help. Visit showittovote.com or call 866-868-3245. Remember, if you're registered to vote, you can vote. Sponsored by the Missouri Secretary of State's office. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122, verse 1. Each weekday, the servants of God at the LCMS International Center gather together to receive the gifts of God in His Word. I invite you to join us weekdays, 10 a.m., for a live broadcast of daily chapel services on KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. 
Your smartphone takes you anywhere instantly. At a click, you can read, watch, or hear just about anything. Some websites are good, some are bad. Some sites truthful, and others are deceptive. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hear the truth of Jesus daily on Worldwide KFUO. Using today's smartphone technology, KFUO brings the gospel to you wherever you are. KFUO is just a click away, 24 hours a day. KFUO.org. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. John Fitzgerald Kennedy was born May 29, 1917 in Brookline, Massachusetts. His life ended with an assassin's bullet in Dallas, Texas on November 22, 1963. At age 43, he was the youngest man to be elected president of the United States. At the end of a presidential stump speech on September 8, 1960, in California, then-Senator John F. Kennedy called the nation to treat others with compassion. He said, I am here to ask such an effort of you and to remind you of the biblical injunction, which he then quoted from Deuteronomy 15, 7 and 8. Thou shalt not harden thy heart, nor shut thy hand from thy needy brother, but thou shalt surely open thy hand unto him. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to Concord Matters with our crew of Christ Confessing Concordians here, Layman Peter Slayton, Pastor Merritt Dembski, Pastor Peter Hill, and myself, Pastor Sean Smith, as your host today. Again, a reminder, we're a call-in show, email, Twitter, Facebook. You can call, though, 1-800-730-2727. That number works worldwide, actually, as we are worldwide KFUO. You can listen to us on the Internet and everything else, too. So, And but, you can look for us on the, on the social medias at KFUO Radio. Uh, for Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Also, uh, well, I was, I was going to throw it to you. I, I'm the host. So please, please wait until I give you permission. No, uh, <laughs> we're having wow. fun here. I, it's, it's hard to see on the radio. We're having fun with one another. <laughs> Do you have but, any Kleenexes but, for the tissues? <laughs> <Can> we... <laughs> Nobody can see your smile when you say that, Pastor no, Smith. And you never hear a smile in my voice, that's for sure. But we can hear Pastor <laughs> Ill's tears. All right. But anyway, uh, no, I, I was I was setting up that we did actually receive a write in with a couple questions and so forth. And Pastor Ill will most graciously uh, lead us into those. Sure. We got some wonderful questions from James, but I'm afraid that if we tackle all five questions, we won't make any more headway. So There's I think the end. we're only yeah. going to pick a couple of these uh, to talk about. One of the questions today is, does true piety satisfy the trouble of sin? Uh, and my initial answer is going to be, no amount of true piety can be our satisfaction. One of the things that we talked about before that is really helpful is our satisfaction for sin is Jesus. No amount of piety, no amount of doing the right thing, as good as these pious things might be, like going to church or giving offerings or prayer or confessing the faith, is going to be good enough. Everything that flows out of us comes out of our sinfulness, but instead, the only thing that satisfies for our sins is Jesus Christ himself. Am, am, am I correct in saying that that would exactly be pietism? Yes. 
Right. We'll my piety. You want to define that a little bit? Well, just that pietism would be my piety is the definition of my, my salvation. And But what's piety, Pastor Mary? Piety is our, our living the Christian life, our prayer life, our going to church, our loving our neighbors, our all that kind of stuff. Our, our works that are, are pleasing, you know, like that kind of thing. But basing our salvation on our piety. Piety is not bad, but pietism that revolves around our piety satisfying God's wrath for our sin would be a problem. Yeah, and pietism, unfortunately, kind of grew out of the Lutherans and uh, certainly kind of became a bigger thing. And I would say is still even inherent in what I would call American evangelicalism. It's shifted in some of its ways. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's it's this desire to do good, godly things. And I, to put the best construction on it, and, and I think you see this even in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, we're not saying that these things are inherently bad in and of themselves, certainly church discipline, encouraging, living the repentant life, and so forth. And we'll see that even, especially as we get into the scripture passages, probably next week at this time. These are these are things commended by scripture. But the problem becomes is when you confuse it for uh, making you right with God, which is what Christ has done for us, and and you know, kind of that burden off of us, then we're all the more encouraged to recognize, okay, I don't have to do this to save myself. Uh, one less thing to worry about, right? And so now I, I, I desire to live the way that, you know, God tells me really is right. And I, I cut off Pat, Peter Sleek. No, that's, there. no, you're fine. I was, I was going to say, I think we, we do the same thing in, in this question. It's talking about the connection between piety and satisfaction. I think we do the same thing with in regards to our conscience, where we, we think that having a clean conscience or a clear conscience is a result of having done the right thing or, or maybe even having believed the right thing. But it's all about my conscience is clear because I know I have done what I have sh- what I should have done or I have not done the thing I'm not supposed to do. But it's it's the same error there as well because I'm placing it on me. No, a true clean conscience in the same way with true satisfaction is what Christ has done for me and me simply resting in that reality, not, you know, and I'll do this all the time. Now, my conscience is clear. I didn't say that thing about that person or I didn't steal that thing. I didn't break the plate. You know, my conscience is clear. Well, no, that's not the source of a clean conscience. That That's not how it works. Same thing with satisfaction. The source of satisfaction is not me. And when we're talking about the, you know, satisfaction for sin, not the good church discipline satisfaction. <laughs> a place where I've heard a lot about that recently is in a book that I got to read by uh, Pastor William Whedon, who is the host of Thy Strong Word. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he's written this book, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, which is all about good Christian piety. And he rests all of it in, here is where the Christian experiences Christ. This isn't having to do with being a better Christian by your own work, but rather this is all about being a better Christian because Christ comes to you in prayer, in the divine service, in receiving the Lord's Supper, in living the baptized life, in going to absolution, and so on. And he unpacks all of these in an absolutely beautiful way. But he also answers another really good question uh, that James has asked in in that book. Uh, And that question is, does guilt and shame reflect true inward satisfaction of the steadfast believer? And my initial answer is going to be, no, our guilt and shame, sometimes guilt and shame is a gift because it points out our sin, but our guilt and our shame is broken and it is corrupted by our sin. We go back to 
oh, it's been, I bet, a year and a half or more since we've gotten to talk about original sin and concupiscence. Mm -hmm. That is, the inclination to sin. And we see exactly how broken we are in our sinfulness. Our guilt and our shame are broken and are corrupted by sin. They don't make satisfaction for our sin. Our fervor, just like our piety, doesn't make satisfaction for our sin. The only thing that makes satisfaction for our sin before God is Jesus Christ. I, I think you stated that really excellently. And sometimes the way I, I, I also teach this, uh, tagging on to that thought, is that we constantly live in this tension, right? And, and while our guilt and shame serves to make me aware of what's going on and my need to come in repentance, to confess my sin, to have my conscience put at ease. And so in that sense, you know, it, it's, it's a thing that is very helpful to, to lead me to a godly way to live. Sometimes, um, the, the tension is, is that we fall too, too far off the horse there and say, oh, well then, you know, I, I have to feel that way. I have to have that notion in order for it to be true repentance. And so we, we never want to make it a legal demand. And it's just constant. I know it's genuine because of how bad I feel about myself and what I've done. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the wrong direction. Or that I'm really in the right, you know, because I don't feel bad about this. Mm. Right. And certainly that argument comes out, you know, with some of the simple ways that we live and so forth and say, well, I wouldn't feel this way if God didn't make me this way. And so it must be right. And it's like, and all of a sudden our emotions are the arbiter of, of reality. And on the flip side, uh, something that I can struggle with sometimes is feeling guilty for things that actually aren't sinful. And sometimes I'll talk to my pastor and he'll look at me with his kind smile and he'll say, and what commandment did you break that you feel so guilty about? And I look at him like a deer in the headlights and I say, I don't think any of them. And he said, yeah, I didn't hear that either. Could this be a case where your guilt and your shame are broken, where your conscience is overactive and you feel bad, but there's actually not anything to confess other than the fact that your emotions are messed up by sin? And and it just stops me dead. <laughs> but it is a wonderful reminder. And if you have to have a commandment to go with that, well, it's the first one because you've made yourself God and you've determined what should make you feel bad. And that's not up to you. So, there, I'll, I'll give you a commandment. You broke the first one. <laughs> Repent. I'll remember that for next time. Thank you. <laughs> Pastor Demsky, we haven't heard from you for a little while. You're just sitting here quietly taking it all in. Well, yeah. I, you got to take it in, right? You know? Now, I was, I was thinking as we were talking about this that we talk at times about the ministerial and magisterial use of reason, you know, like having, uh, being able to read God's word, understand it, but not allowing, well, that doesn't make sense. How could, if it doesn't make sense, it must not be true. You know, and that being the magisterial, allowing our reason to control things and thinking about how I had just heard, a. Uh, talk about the ministerial and magisterial use of emotions that we allow our emotions to to serve and be the the uh, definition of truth as we were just kind of mm-hmm. talking in that different way but uh versus saying you know what i feel bad because i did something wrong but instead of that saying i feel bad therefore it is wrong or something like that you yeah. know or not having a um 
<laughs> Sorry, there was a We're lot of playing behind the scenes stuff going on that now makes no sense on the radio. Pastor Dembski was talking about an excellent interview, I believe, that Pastor Brian Wolfmuller did on uh, issues, etc. And he also did a YouTube video not too long ago of a shortened oh. version of that, all too. Oh, also, it's better. a Lutheran okay. Witness article. And it's a Lutheran Witness article. Yeah. So also, it's all over the place. Multimedia. Yeah. <laughs> a slide projector and a bed sheet? <laughs> We're going with VeggieTales quotes. Woo! How many references can I get in this episode? I wish it stopped. <laughs> I'll, I'll still be your friend. Excellent. Everybody's got a water buffalo. Back, back to the writing question, though. Um, because we are a serious show, so get serious, guys. Um, th- does guilt show? and shame reflect... Inward satisfaction in the steadfast believer. Um, I, I think, you know, this is tied in, as you said, very nicely with that kind of piety understanding and so forth. And it, and it can apply to so many other things, too, even than just the guilt and shame. And sometimes you hear this, you know, with the way that Christians live their lives in true piety, uh, you know, before the world. I get it oftentimes as a pastor, you know, I I think it's very important, as I was taught in seminary and so forth, to, to lead the divine service very reverently, in a, you know, in a certain way that uh, shows, you know, respect for the gifts of God that he gives to us in that service and, and that it gives all glory to God. And sometimes, you know, people misunderstand that and they say, oh, you're just, you know, making a show of it. You're, you know, you're, you're thinking that you're all high and mighty and things like that. Or, you know, you hear about it, about good, uh, pious Christians out there as well, that the way that they live their lives, you know, oh, you think you're all high and mighty, you know, it's, you know, make a museum for saints, you know, kind of thing out of the church and so forth. And, and with all of these, generally that's not the case. There, there certainly are some that may have that wrong understanding and so forth. But generally, I don't think that it's the case that, you know, the, the thinking is necessarily that I'm doing this to earn that satisfaction. Um, but, but that this is just simply a good way to live, which is the right way that we live as Christians. And so, again, I think it all comes back to the hinge understanding here is you have to have it in connection with teaching. Right. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to have conversations and may, maybe, you know, and, and it's difficult, especially if you're dealing with those outside the church. But even with those, but especially with those inside the church, I would say, you know, if someone comes to you yeah, or, or if you want to go to someone and say, oh, well, you just think you're better than everybody else or something like that because of the way that you live, that you're a better Christian and so forth. You know, maybe a better way to say is, you know, what's your thinking on, on why you do this? Right. And then that allows for a, a conversation and a dialogue. But even if you're that Christian that folks come to you, right, in, in such an abrasive way, you know, reframe it and say, no, I, I recognize that Christ has satisfied everything and all glory do, is due to him. And so, you know, I just desire to live this way because I think it's it's a godly way to live that like Christ has called me. And so, again, always just opportunities to teach and, and kind of reframe those things. I believe we got another uh, writing question here, and so I'm going to... Uh, Throw it to Pastor Hill again. We got another question, uh, this one from Twyla, who has written and asks, doesn't God the Father discipline us, often through the church, because he loves us? And this is absolutely true. But I think that there's an important distinction to make here that we've been kind of dancing around for the last 40 minutes, and that is uh, the two kinds of righteousness. So when we use this idea of two kinds of righteousness, there is the righteousness that we have before God or for the random Latin scholar who's listening uh, out on summer break, they might talk about righteousness coram Deo, which is just Latin for before God. 
And that righteousness before God is only seen through the grace of Jesus Christ. We are only righteous before God through Christ. But before the world or before other people, we have righteousness that is seen in our actions. And so when we talk about discipline a lot of times and how discipline comes through the church, we end up talking about before the world kind of righteousness. And this is this canonical satisfaction as it began of people who had renounced their faith having an opportunity to stand up in front of the church and say, I renounced my faith in a time of persecution, or I did this or that other scandalous thing. I was wrong, and I want to set the record straight before God and you as my witnesses. I know that I am forgiven by Christ, but I also appeal for your forgiveness. Uh, And so that was a form of church discipline. Ultimately, our discipline before God has been met in Jesus. Our discipline before the world and before our brothers and sisters in Christ is also met through Jesus, but we also take that time to recognize that as it's met in Jesus, we make confession one to another. Can we right the wrong by our own works? Not at all. We can only be righted by the gifts of Jesus himself, who suffered and died, who rose again to take away those very sins. He is our satisfaction, and he's the one who strengthens us to be made right before our brothers and sisters in Christ. I I think in in this question, there's also a, a temptation that all of us struggle with to to look on the the hidden God the work that God does that he hasn't revealed to us. So this idea of God disciplining us, while Scripture says, yes, God disciplines those he loves, we want to take that to the next step and say, okay, well, this thing that's happening to me is is a bad thing, therefore that's God disciplining me for that thing that I did last month, and wanting to make that direct connection. And so while we can confess, as Scripture says, yes, God disciplines those he loves. And I think there are a couple other verses there. I, I don't have it in front of me that might talk about that sort of thing. Yes, we can confess that, but it's it's another thing entirely to begin pinpointing and speaking specifically and exactly as this thing happening to me now is actually that discipline happening. Because for all I know, this I I I, I tend as a hu- sinful human to think of discipline as things that hurt me that are that are bad maybe even evil um and because i think that this is a bad thing that's painful to me therefore it must be discipline well that's that's my perspective god has a very different perspective that he hasn't necessarily um shared with me on this thing that's happening and if it's coming from god it's actually good um and i'm the one it's i'm I'm kind of starting i think you guys know where i'm going here i feel like i'm starting to ramble a little bit but this this idea of if it hurts, it's discipline and, and God's doing it to me. Why is God doing this to me? Well, I'm into a whole area that God hasn't revealed to me and hasn't given me a specific word or promise on that. And so I think with this question, that's that's where I tend to go when, when I'm asking that kind of a question. I don't know if Twyla's going the same place, but that's where I go with it. <laughs> and I'm not exactly sure where Twyla's going either, but... On one hand, you can say, why is God punishing me for for this action that I did? Or, mm-hmm. or is God punishing me for this action that I did? Or somebody might be able to say, look, I'm being disciplined. That means that God cares about me and God loves me. And 
it's even sometimes for my own flesh tempting to say, this is almost a means of God's grace. This is a way that I know that God loves me because he's disciplining me. And, and it can end up leading to kind of a, kind of a pride that we're not exactly expecting. <laughs> Something bad happened to me. That means that God loves me and is disciplining me. And when that starts to draw our faith to say, I can have confidence that God loves me because I suffer, that's not, that's not exactly what Scripture teaches. We find that God loves us because God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, mm-hmm. not because God sent suffering to me. I think part of our problem is that we always tend to think of discipline as this negative, painful, and and while certainly Hebrews says that no discipline ever feels good in the moment, right? Uh, But in the end, it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Scripture certainly teaches us this, but a right understanding of discipline is really, you know, a training, a showing Right, mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a parent disciplines their child because they desire to show them the better way. Right, uh, that living according to this way really will produce, you know, a, a better, more happier life for them. Right, and and can also just serve in, in kind of training and 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 helping you realize what's really going on and and the nature of your relationship there too. And so, especially when it comes to our our training and discipline with God and so forth. Um, I, I, to give an example of this, when I was a hospital chaplain fresh out of seminary, there was a series of a couple weeks there where I, I was called to minister to several women who had had uh, sudden miscarriages and so forth. And that's always a very painful thing uh, for a mother to experience. And it was amazing to me. And I had not really encountered it much uh, myself personally until then. Um, you know, and just talking with folks about this and so forth. But it was amazing to me, you know, how many of them immediately jumped to this understanding that we even see show up in scripture and so forth, where they were imagining that this specific thing was happening because of something specific in their life. Right. And, and there, and I found in those pastoral care encounters and so forth, there's, there's, there's a definite tension, as there always is, in, in how you handle this, right? And so there's something clearly weighing heavy on their conscience, right? That they're feeling like God is punishing them for this. And so we need to deal with that. We need to, we need to help you find that there is gospel. There is satisfaction made for whatever it is that you think God is punishing you for um, in Christ already. And so God doesn't punish you. He punishes Christ in place of you, right? You receive his grace and his mercy. And so we have an opportunity to proclaim gospel there. And yet at the same time, we also recognize that all sickness, all brokenness in this sinful world and so forth should always lead us to repentance and faith that we, that we would see this as a training for, I I have nothing worthy of my own. I do nothing right. I am a poor, miserable sinner. And this isn't a negative way to view ourselves. This is actually the right way to understand ourselves that I have nothing of worth before God. And so that leads me in repentance and faith, which trusts but I'm enough in God through Christ because he loves me. He has claimed me be, despite my lack of worthiness, right? Pastor Demsky. I know growing up there were many times that there would be things that happened that I'd think, just what we're talking about here, oh, this is because I did this, you know? And when I uh, was brought into the, the Lutheran church and was studying scripture and, you know, all that kind of stuff, it it's amazing how simple the Christian message really is and how much more complicated we try to make it at times. 
and you talk to people and whether it's what we're talking about from the beginning of kind of adding our own human interpretation to why we're doing stuff when in reality it's Christ forgives you, now go make it right. But then we had a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, well, once you do six of these things and you really mean it with all your heart, then you can be, it's like, no, just go love your neighbor, fix what, <laughs> fix what happened, you know, and, and it, it's that simple and you don't have to try to, I mean, scripture forbids reading signs and wonder like signs, you know, like that kind of thing of, oh, there was a bird over there. That must mean, you know, like those kind of things are, this happened to me. Therefore, God must be trying to tell me that da da da. I it's saw like, this billboard on the way to work. It was a message from God. Yes, it was a Bible verse printed on the billboard. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think I think part of the the problem of this world too is is that there are consequences for things. So I often with my confirmation students I give the example of you walk off the top of a building, right? There's forgiveness for this, right? Uh, you are forgiven, but you're going to have the consequence of maybe a broken leg, right? And that's going to stick with you for a little while, right? Mm-hmm. Or the temptation to the other side as well is maybe you walk off the top of the building and maybe you by God's mercy and grace, didn't break your leg, right? What a blessing. But then you're, you're, you know, tempted to think, well, then surely God must love me, right? Or, or surely I must be, you know. I'm meant to walk off I, this building again. I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing things right in life, you know, follow my example because I can do this and, and don't receive that. And so it's, again, always a, t- a, a tension going on there. And we tend to look at the wrong things. And I, I think that especially even happens, you know, in interpersonal relationships and so forth, too, is that we can know, we can be, we can receive the full forgiveness of Christ and then go to our neighbor in a godly way and seek their forgiveness also, and then they don't forgive me. Well, you talk and about, that makes it really quite difficult, too. Yeah, you talk about looking at the wrong things. I mean, even as we've been discussing this, we're constantly coming back around to what must I do. You know, and you mentioned that the teaching earlier and what that teaching is and how we need to have that teaching. Well, the content of that teaching is pointing people over and over to Christ and what he has done. Even in our conversation of discussing this, it's difficult for us as we're explaining it to keep bringing it back to Christ and what he's done. And that, you know, I'm not berating us for that. I'm pointing out the reality of the difficulty of this. (laughs) We're all drawn back to try to make our own satisfaction for our sins and our sinfulness. This this is exactly what what we're focusing on today. Yeah. So, so while the adversaries were apparently doing this on purpose, the reality we need to recognize is we all, we all do this. It's not like they were 500 years ago, they were bad and you know, nobody, nobody since then has done this sort of thing. No, we're, we're constantly doing this today. That's actually the value of, of reading through this portion of the, of the apology is recognizing we're still doing this. It doesn't change. It's maybe not mandated by our church body that we do these in the, in the same way, but we still operate in this way very much so. It's almost like you're saying there's nothing new under the sun or something. Yeah, but I didn't actually say that because that would have been redundant and repetitive. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds right. Vain. Thanks for that great thought. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think there's a tension here, too, that we've talked about, too, that, you know, to put the best construction on it, they, they probably, some just had poor understanding, right? They weren't outwardly yeah. manipulating. But yet at the same time, too, we definitely see historically, this is a historical fact, and I've asserted on the show many times that I still see this in American Christianity, especially today, that I can manipulate people. If you really value a relationship, so to bring it back to the original glass jar, not a plate uh, that I used, example, with Pastor Dembski, if I really value my relationship with Pastor Dembski, 
I'm going to want to to make sure that that's a good relationship. And he could really use that to manipulate me. I mean, he could say, well, you have to go buy me Ted Drews. All right, to make this right, and then oh, by once the way, a week, you got to buy a year. Yeah, you, they, for our worldwide and, listeners, that's a local St. Louis custard. It is wonderful, but yeah, it would. There's really, a caveat. To the, oh, I have Tedgers on my mind. Yeah, all right, I, okay, but, understood. <laughs> coming back to this idea here, right, uh, is that he could really manipulate this and and continually get me to do things for him in order to have that power, in essence, which yeah. again is always that sinful nature that we have, but the comfort that we have. The thing that the Lutheran confessions want to emphasize again and again, and we have emphasized today, and I want to leave you with this thought, is that the satisfaction for your sins is done already in Christ Jesus. Let that gospel, let that grace reign free. If you have something burdening your conscience that you are repentant of, and you want to hear that grace announced to you, go find yourself a good Lutheran pastor in a Lutheran congregation, and you will hear it proclaimed, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. That's the message of KFUO Radio, and that is the message that we want to leave you with today. Thanks for stopping by. Until next time, keep confessing, church.